The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. My name is Pete, and I'm the pastor here, and we've been studying the book of Philippians. We've been in there for about 17 weeks, and actually we just have two weeks left after this week. Two weeks left, and we're done. I'm really excited about where we're going to go after this, and and we'll let you know. um, I know where we're going. I'll let you know in in a week or so. Um, It's really exciting where where we're going to be headed after this series. But we've been in the book of Philippians. We've been calling this the book of encouragement because it is just saturated with this encouragement. Uh, Paul is writing this letter to his Christian friends at a church in Philippi, encouraging them in their faith, encouraging them to persist in the gospel, to be steadfast. And this morning, we, we talk about encouragement for the need of disciplining our hearts, living out of a disciplined, disciplined life. And we read this passage, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I don't know if you've heard this passage before um, or if it's new to you, but this is one of the things about the Christian life that when we come across it, it seems way too difficult to be reasonable. I mean, rejoice always? How often? Always. Rejoice always in the Lord? It seems so impractical, so unattainable. It's very churchy. We come across this passage, and and if we do it too quickly, we we see a portrait of a person that we cannot become. We think we cannot become. It's the person that we maybe have tried to become in our life, but have failed to become. And so there's maybe some some shame or guilt there, and we say, I'm not going to try that again. Or a person that we have no interest in becoming. I don't want to be that person. That person with that eternal smile. That inauthentic air of optimism about them. I don't want to be that person. So I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you want to be that person, but you have tried and you have failed, maybe you don't desire to be that kind of person. But for for those of us who think that maybe this verse is only for those kinds of people, the gullible, the naive, the overly optimistic, Paul is showing us something very different, and I hope that we can see that this morning, that we can be people who rejoice always. And in case you missed it the first time, he repeats himself. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I tell you, rejoice. This is possible. And not only is it possible, God desires it for us. He commands us to understand what does this look like to be these kinds of people who rejoice always. And he's showing us that in order to be a person of of great joy, of great rejoicing, we must be a person of, of great internal stability. There must be something inside of us that is rock solid, No matter what happens outside of us in external lives and circumstances, whatever happens, that we have this rock-solid center that we can rejoice in the midst of all different kinds of situations. I recently saw this picture of the anatomy of a a woodpecker's head. Now, this was very valuable sermon prep time, I assure you. And so, uh, I'll explain. It showed the woodpecker's tongue. It's a very long tongue. But not only does it have a very long tongue, it shows the anatomy of this tongue. And and the tongue goes to the back of the throat, and then it splits in two at the back of the head, and it wraps around the front of the head all the way to the base of the beak. What? And it, why 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 does it do this? This is important. Because a woodpecker uh, pounds his head at a rate of 20 pecks per second into oak trees 
with such intense force. And this tongue becomes like a shock absorber for its brain. Pretty amazing. <laughs> now, you try this. You go and try this. Like, pound your face against the wall. You're, you're lucky to get like two pounds per second. And this woodpecker's doing 20. You've heard them outside. Oak trees, mesquite trees. Like, really hard wood. Where they, where they get food that way. They build their nests in these trees. Pretty amazing. The more chaotic outside, the more chaotic it is outside, the more important it is for us to have this internal stability, this internal shock absorber. That's what Paul is talking about. He says the, the mature Christian needs to be internally secure, internally stable. And we need to have this discipline where this is developed because things happen in our life and we have outside circumstances that are difficult, that are troubling, that are, that are stressful, that create stress and chaos and and grief, and we can't, some of these things we can't control. Most of these things we have no control over. But it's possible to be a person of great internal stability, a person of great joy. Different life stages provide different outside, outside instability, which will require greater internal stability. Maybe it's a season where you have experienced great uh, loss, uh, loss of life from a, a loved one, uh, maybe a, a loss of job, Maybe you're dealing with uh, some kind of chronic illness. Uh, maybe it's a season of just great uh, depression or sadness or sorrow. Maybe it's a loss of job or, or something else. Maybe it's confusion. Whatever it is, there's different seasons that require great internal stability. And Paul, he's, he lets us know that he is writing this to Christians because he knows that they will need this. And just, he just got done, if you're with us the last few weeks, he just got done telling us that you need to be like Jesus. In chapter 2, in chapter 3, he says, be like Christ. And so I know that you, if you're a Christian and going to follow Christ, you're going to find yourself in situations where you're going to need this internal stability because I want you to be like Christ. Now, if we say, if, if I tell you, <clears throat> go to Aspen, then you should also know where you can get a pair of winter gloves. If I tell you to go to Cancun, then you should know where to get some sunscreen. Well, Paul is saying, I want you to follow Jesus, and I want you to take your entire life and everything in it, and I want you to be on this passionate pursuit of knowing him more. And so you're going to need this. You're going to need this internal stability because there's going to be trouble. You're going to have stress. You're going to have opposition. You're going to have discouragement. And so he encourages us, stand firm in the Lord, he says. Stand firm. Where there's an increase in outside pressure, the inside must be solid. And he's saying, I'm showing you how to be a rock. I'm showing you how to be confident and how to have these shock absorbers in your life. I'm going to show you that it's possible that you can have this persistent joy no matter what. And he does. And he gives us a discipline that he shows us. He gives us this main discipline, a discipline to adopt in our life that when it is practiced in our lives in specific ways, it will give us joy. So first, before I tell you what this discipline is, we'll get to it very, very soon, I want to I show you what, how he gets to this because he talks about this conflict that these two women in the church are having. So he connects this, this, this important discipline that we all need to adopt with a story of what is going on in the life of the church that he's writing to, a conflict that these two people are having. How would you like that? 
you read, people, someone stands up and they're reading God's word and you're being encouraged and then all of a sudden he says, now Amy and, and, and Chris, uh, you guys aren't getting along and I really need to talk to you. How would you like that if your name just came out? Euodia and Syntyche. These are great names, right? Euodia, Syntyche. There your names are, right there. I know you're not getting along. I know that you guys are fighting with one another. I know that there's conflict. I, I know that you really don't want to be friends right now with each other. And these were godly women. These were women who partnered with, with Paul in his ministry. They were co-laborers in his gospel ministry. They were prominent in their community and in their church. And he calls them out. Right in the midst of, a, of an encouraging letter, he calls out these two people and, and calls them by name. We don't have specifically what exactly was going on. We don't know exactly, but we know that it was causing a disunity in their relationship with each other. And it was causing a discord and a division within their church. And he says, I encourage you to agree in the Lord. And he even asks the church, he says, calls out some other people. He says, come around these, these women and, and encourage them in the Lord and come around and help them. And then he drops this, this huge spiritual bomb on them. Agree in the Lord, sort out your conflict, for your names have been written in the book of life. It's like, what? What does that have to do with anything? Paul, we're like, we're fighting, we're not getting along. This is huge spiritual stuff. This is like cosmic spiritual stuff. Your names were written in the book of life from all eternity. See, the book of life was God's registry. It's God's register where he has all the names of the redeemed that he keeps in a book. Names written since eternity past. And Paul brings us into this conversation about people who are fighting with one another. You see that Paul is so, in, he's so incapable of disconnecting any aspect of life from the historical redemption story, from the gospel. He's incapable of looking at any portion of life, whether it's small or big, disconnected from the gospel story. So here it is, the discipline, the discipline of the persistently joyful. Here is the discipline, connecting this conflict with something so cosmically powerful and relevant as it relates to the spiritual world. The discipline is this. Apply big truths to every situation. Small or big, apply big truths that we know about God to every situation in our life. And this is the discipline that will produce a life of persistent joy in those who practice this. Applying big truths to some situations is more, more understandable, more reasonable at times. This is why when we have a, a serious illness, a financial crisis, or a marriage on the brink of failure, we gather our trusted friends, we get people close, and we say, pray with us, help us. Let's appeal to the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's seek Him. Let's be reminded of His affection and love for us no matter what. Let's be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus in these huge times of crisis. But what do we do when someone's going through a minor conflict, a minor crisis, or just a bad day? We say, oh man, you're, you'll, come on, you'll figure it out. You're doing great. You're smart. You're good. People like you. You're, you're going to be fine. And we abandon this, but Paul doesn't do this. Even in the smallest conflicts, he brings in all of eternity. He's cosmic relevance. Her name's written in the book of life. Consider this, if you came to Paul and he said, how are you doing? And you said, I'm okay, but I had, I'm a little bummed today. 
just found out my transmission needs to be replaced and I can't really deal with this financial burden right now. I don't have the money. I don't know how I'm going to fix the car. I, I, I really don't. But, you know, every, everything's okay. It'll, it'll work itself out. You know what he would say? Let me tell you a story. He would say, let me tell you a story, he would say. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Wait, we're going there? Yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> I'm going there. He would remind us of the gospel. He said, there's a person and a place whose presence, all things are made new. There's a person whose love is not received by doing what we ought to do, but given freely in spite of who we are and what we've done. There's a person who created you, designed you, loved you, provided for you. He's preparing a place for you right now so that you may join him in, in forever joy and forever peace. And you don't deserve him. But even though not deserving him, God did not leave you to your own, but he rushed into your sin and into your crisis. And he took on your guilt and your sin for all the wrong that you had ever done so that you could take on his joy and blessing, so that you can take on his righteousness. And you are a citizen of heaven. And you're going back to heaven to be with God forever. And there he's preparing a place for you to live with him in all eternity. So lift up your head and rejoice in the stability that you have in him, knowing that you are a child of God, that your name is written in the book of life, that you don't have to ignore your problems, but God cares about your problems and he cares immensely for you. And in him you have the riches of all of heaven. And no one can take you away from the love of God. Well, maybe you misunderstood. I was talking about my car. (laughs) Paul is a rock. Paul is a rock. Because he treats everything this way. Everything. Paul rejoices always because he is able to have this discipline for all things. Everything is cosmically relevant because God is the owner of all things, that he is the giver of all blessings. Paul cannot deal with a small issue without bringing in the gospel, without bringing into the situation the entire story of God's plan of redemption for mankind. We don't know what this conflict is between these two women, but it honestly doesn't matter. Paul doesn't say, well, I'm, I'm sure they'll figure it out. They're good women. They will come to some kind of agreement. He applies the gospel to it right there. The fact that you have been redeemed by the work of Christ is entirely relevant to every situation you will ever encounter. Even the ones you think are not spiritual. He can't see any moment outside of God's plan. Everything matters All of life matters. So our ability to rejoice persistently, to rejoice always, is directly related to our doctrine, to what we believe about God. In other words, our ability to rejoice in all things is directly related to what we think about God in any moment. Is he an absent landlord? Does he care? Is he too busy for this? Whatever is going on in your life? Do you deserve it? And he is paying you back and he's saying, well, you can handle this. You've, you've caused enough trouble. Let's let you work yourself out of this problem. Whatever we think about God in any given situation, that is directly linked to our rejoicing in that moment. Or 
Is he a sovereign God who writes our names in the book of life? Is he the source of all blessing? Don't you see what Paul believes here? The only way that we could be commanded to rejoice in all things is if all things belong to God. He believes that God has the right to command joy in all things and gives us a hope of the promise of his faithfulness in all things only because he is the owner of all things and all things answer to his authority. If I told you, go, go tend to that yard, go mow that yard, and you said, well, is it your yard? And I said, no, then you should say, well, then who are you to tell me to do anything? The only way that we could be commanded by God to rejoice in every situation is if every situation must obey God. Every situation is under His authority, His wisdom, His care, His sovereign dealing. You say, well, God, who are you to tell me how to act in this? And He says, I am the owner of all things, and all things belong to me, and I'm the giver of all blessings. Does God have a right to speak into every situation, every situation of culture, of life, of work? Does he, does he have any right to speak in, to give his opinion about any matter? The Bible says yes. And actually, just last week in a verse that we read about Jesus, because of his resurrection, he's given the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, the Bible says. The power to subject all things to himself, that means all things answer to Jesus. When we realize that every moment is lived in light of eternity, we'll begin to see that we can, we can rejoice differently. You may say, whoa, this is intense. Pete, this is a little intense. It's a weekend, crying out loud. <laughs> crying out loud. And it is. It is intense. It, I think it feels intense because we're so often so lazy when it comes to thinking about our life and God's relevance in it and what he thinks about our life. We often don't think about all those areas of our life and how it's eternally relevant. And so we, we, when it comes in like this so intense, we say, well, this is a, this is a, it's a big news. All things. But this is where we should have been all the while. And this is something we need to develop in our heart and in our mind to understand that all things do belong to God. And we usually are very absent when it comes to thinking about all things relevant to God in all eternity, in all of redemption history, and all things are part of God's unraveling of His wonderful plan. And as a result, well, I, well, I heard one pastor talk about this. I heard one pastor explain that the assault on a person's Joy, uh, pursuit of joy in Christ comes from three sources. One, the, the world is tempting. There's a lot of things that we want and we're tempted and our hearts are enticed by, by the things of the world and the cares of the world. The second one is, is that the devil is very aggressive and the devil pursues us. The Bible says that devil is aggressive like a prowling lion. He seeks who he can devour and he's after us. He's after our joy and that's something that is an assault on our joy. And the third thing is, is that the flesh is weak that we become weak and we become tired and you have all these three things together. The world's tempting, the devil's aggressive, and our flesh is weak. Well, as a result of all these things, the life of a Christian involves a great deal of instability, a great deal of, of temptation, a great deal of vulnerability. It's the issue that Paul picks up in chapter 3 and in the beginning of chapter 4. 
really the rest of chapter 4, he talks about this. Because the life of a Christian is so vulnerable, we need to have this internal strength, this internal rock. We need to be strong. We need to apply big truths of the gospel to even the most mundane things of life. And if you do this, and if we do this, we will persist in joy always. So let's talk about that. We, we looked at this big discipline, applying big truths to every situation, even the mundane. How do we practice this in our life? And Paul gives us great direction for this as well, which is so helpful. First, look, let's look at uh, verse 4 to 7. And I see just a couple really good things in here. The first one is, act the way you believe, not just the way you feel. Now, where did I get this? And I'll, and I'll show you. Every once in a while, every once in a while, there's a Greek word that's used that we have no idea what it means. I mean, we can have like 10 different words for it. And in the English, like we, we can come up with something close, but we never really get right on it. And this passage has one of those things. And, and our, ours says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your, your Bible translation might say gentleness or mildness or gracious living or, or whatever it might be. And we're trying really hard. I mean, there's probably a dozen different words that we can use. And here, it's reasonableness. Other, other places, it's called something else. But let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. But here's what's going on. When we are troubled, when we are confused when we have, uh, whether it's the, the temptation or the, the aggression of the devil or the, the weak uh, flesh that is uh, causing us to feel vulnerable and unstable, whatever that is, our feelings are way ahead of our thinking. And usually the first way that we react is based on how we feel. And Paul is saying, do you want to learn how to have an internal stability? He says, then, then we need to talk to our hearts. We need to talk to our feelings. We need to say, Wait a minute. Wait a minute, heart. What do you believe? Right now, you're, you're, you're acting out of how you feel, but what is true? What do you believe? And now, this is, and this is not stuffing emotions. This isn't just ignoring emotions, but it's training our emotions. It's giving our emotions a, a, a way to... to to be based on truth. It is telling our emotions to anchor into something that is real. And what is true? The Lord is at hand, Paul says. The Lord is at hand and He is with you. Unfortunately, when believers face difficulty, we often forget what we believe about God. And we, we, we act in the moment and then we have to pick up the pieces later and say, you know what? If I could do it over again, here's how I might act. Now, knowing what I know and believing what I believe, I got ahead of myself. We did tend to pick up the pieces later. We lose our confidence in the Lord in that moment. We forget about His presence. We lose self-control. We become careless. You see, this is a practice that requires us to tell our emotions what to believe and what is true rather than our emotions telling us what to do and what to believe. Reasonableness. Paul says, let's be reasonable. Let's reason with one another. And given what we believe about God, how would we then act in this moment, in this crisis, in this struggle? Tell yourself what is true about God or gentleness or mildness. He's saying this isn't how we act. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on what is real about God. 
And that's why we can, we can rejoice always because God never changes. You see, if we, if, we only, if we act based on our circumstances, then we are always changing. But God doesn't change. And because He doesn't change, we can be reasonable. We can be mild. We can be gentle. We can be gracious in all circumstances. We can rejoice. Who do we practice this around? Who should we be reasonable around? You're really going to hate me. Everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You want to rejoice at home more? Let your reasonableness be known to your family. And this is weird because family is kind of like a pass, isn't it? You're at home. You're not a Christian. You're not anybody. <laughs> you're just in orbit somewhere. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. How would you act at home if you stopped and thought, what do I believe about God? What is true about God? Not the way I feel right now, but what is true about God? You want to rejoice at work? Do you want joy at work? Act the way you believe, not just the way you feel about what's going on at work. What gives us reasonableness is knowing that the God of the universe who writes our names in the book of life does not show up late. That he is here with us wherever we go. He's there in the hospital room. He's in the office. He's in our home. He's in the courtroom. He's in every area. Paul says, where can I go where you are not? Even if I go to the depths of Sheol and if I go to the heights of heaven, you are there. You are there, and you know. In the doubt of your own heart, wherever you are, He is there. In your confusion and fear in any given circumstance, God is there. And He is the giver of all blessings, and He's the creator of all things. The Lord is at hand because everything is His. And He is over all things. This changes the way that we Rejoice. Let's look at the next thing that he says that is helpful to this. The way we practice this, applying big truths to all circumstance, is thank God ahead of time. See, there are many different kinds of prayers in the Bibles. I mean, I don't know how many. Lots. Lots of different ways to pray. Lots of different circumstances in which to pray. Uh, and this lists one. The kind of, the kind of prayer that, is, that, that brings... Uh, the kind of prayer that is brought to our attention is, is, is a difficult practice, and it's the praying, the kind of praying with thanks. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You know what, you know what is a practice of applying big truths, big truths about God and who He is and what He does to all circumstances? is to pray with thanksgiving before he is answered. To cultivate internal stability and sustainable joy, we should bring our requests to God. We should let him know how we are doing. We should ask him for things. We should ask for his provision and blessing. Of course, this is so important to the life of the Christian. But you might be thinking, of course, this is nothing new. I mean, wow, Pete, groundbreaking point here. 
when things are difficult, pray. But how? We should pray in such a way, giving thanks for the outcome that is yet to be known to us. Now this tells us a lot about what we believe about God. Whatever you do, I'm thankful. Thanking Him ahead of time for the entire range of responses. If you bring healing, I am thankful. If you don't, I am thankful. If I get the job, I'm thankful. If I don't, I'm thankful. God knows so much more than us. God knows so much more. And through prayer, we come to God admitting that we don't see the world the way He sees it, but we ought to, but we should, but we want to. God says, where were you? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, the world? Where were you? He says, I could, I could, I could map out the, the universe with the span of my hand. I can hold all the waters in the palm of my hand in all of the universe. I can, I can hold all the sands in all the earth. They are like dust on my fingertips. Where were you when I created all that? You don't know what I am doing. You don't know the big picture. But I am good and I've written your name in the book of life and I love you and you are the object of my affection. Whatever I am plotting, whatever comes your way, know that I love you. Here is where it is so important to, believe, to know what we believe about God. Because if, if, depending on what we believe, we won't be able to obey this command. We will not be able to thank God before he answers our prayers if, unless we believe something about God. Do you believe that God, as the Bible says, works out all things for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose? Believe wrongly about God and try to do this. Believe wrongly about God and try to pray like this and you will be an emotional mess. I promise because I know. I've tried. You've tried. You know why? You know why it's so hard? Because you'll be trying to force yourself to be okay with whatever God gives you, but you don't trust Him. Try to put yourself in the care of somebody else whom you do not trust and you will be in conflict. You will be a mess. You will not be able to do it. Humanly speaking, put it, you, know, you know what it's like. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, love you. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to do what you say, but I really don't trust you. That relationship is broken. That relationship is going to be a mess until something changes. And you will grow to resent God. You'll grow to hate Him. Maybe you're already there. Man, I've been there. I have been at that place where I've prayed to God and He has blessed me. And I, and I lived a, a very privileged life where God was very kind to me. And then as soon as something happens in my life, where a crisis happens, I say, what gives, God? All the while, I've been following your rules. I've been obeying you. I've been a good kid. And this is how you repay me? You see, if we don't trust God, if we don't trust that He is plotting our joy and that He will be glorified in all things, and He loves us, and He's working out all of His plans for those who love Him. If we don't believe that, then we will grow to resent Him. And I want to tell you this. If you're there, if you're worried about things, if you're trying to wrestle through this, remember 
these wonderful words in, in Romans 8. See, Paul says, what do we say about these things? What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up, who gave him up for us all, how will he not be also give us graciously all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. See, Paul again is writing this passage in Romans, and he's saying he's worshiping God. He's acting like he believes, not just he feels, because he is being persecuted. His death is being plotted. People want to kill him. And he's saying, I don't want to act like I feel. I want to act like I believe. And what I believe about God is, if I belong to him, then what can happen to me? If I am in his love, then and he has given me Jesus, why wouldn't he give me everything good? He loves me. He's interceding for me right now. He is praying. God, Jesus is praying to the Father on my behalf. And is God the Father not going to listen to his own son? Of course he will. The Father is going to listen to Jesus because he is righteous. Of course he will. The way we pray will reveal what we worship. It'll reveal what we want. Do we want God or do we want the nice things of God? Do we want his blessings or do we just want him? If we only see the blessings of God, we'll only pray when we're in trouble, right? If we want God's good things, we will only pray when things are bad. And we will say, why am I having such a hard time at rejoicing? And worse yet, if we only seek the blessings of God, but not God, we will miss God. So here's here's where he finishes. Here's the conclusion. And still, I know this is so difficult. I know that I haven't figured it out for you. You Maybe you're you're seeing something, you're growing, and you're being encouraged, and I'm really glad. But but I know I didn't come in to fix this, because this is just, I get it. This is tough. How could we be commanded, though, to feel this way all the time? And so I'll leave you with a a gentle correction. Rejoicing in the Lord always is is not a feeling merely. It's not a command to be purely emotional in this certain way. It is a deep-down confidence that God is in control of everything for the believer's good and his own glory. So rejoicing in the Lord always, again he says rejoice, is is not merely an emotional response. It is a deep down, rock solid confidence in what we believe about what the Bible says about God. And then we apply that to every situation, dramatic or mundane. The internal stability of joy is intensely, it's internally enjoyed, but it's not internally created. Let me say that again. The internal stability of joy is internally enjoyed, but not internally created. That means that this deep-down confidence is cultivated by Jesus, not by something inside of us. Like, we are not joy or peace-producing factories. Like, we are not good at that. We're bad at that. If it were up to us to creating the best that we could, it would not be joy. It would be strife, it would be conflict, it would be, it, it would be uh, wayward emotion, it would be pain and chaos. 
So the kind of joy that God promises to us is unnatural to us. It's supernatural, really. Is it not? The only, uh, people are not good sources of joy. They're not good, reliable sources. They disappoint and they let us down. The only sure, reliable, unwavering, unchanging source of joy is God. And when we do this, look at what the Bible tells us. Look at what our passage says. And when we do this, when we apply big truths to small situations or any situation, when we, when we act the way we believe and not just the way we feel, when we are thankful before God answers, trusting in who He is, He says this, in the peace of God, the peace of God, not our peace, but the peace of God that is outside of us, which surpasses all understanding, that is beyond your own wildest imagination, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will be like a soldier that is marching around your heart and mind, protecting it and saying, this is mine, I got this. It's, 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 it's being built on a rock. It's stable, it's impermeable, it's not vulnerable, it's confident in God. And so, so the power of Christ, his peace, marches around our heart and our mind and it protects us so that we can persist in joy no matter what. Marching around us, protecting us from those three sources of, of lack of joy, the temptation of the world, the schemes of the devil, the weakness of our own flesh. God says the peace of Christ will protect you. But the person who is able to rejoice always isn't this naive optimist. It isn't the Christian with the eternal smile on their faith, face. But it is, it's not just the optimist. It truly is the realist. Because it is a person that is beginning to see things as they actually are. That God is near, he is listening, he cares, and his peace is unrivaled. Let's pray. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.